Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Simon said last week it would be a surprise. It was a surprise because none of us knew who was quite preaching, and I am the surprise. We're going to uh, have a one-off week, because as uh, you've heard, Simon is going to start a new series next week. And uh, it, it kind of was, I was praying this week rather quickly, oh God, I'm preaching on Sunday, what am I going to say? He was really gracious and gave me a message. And um, it's nothing you haven't heard before. And when a preacher gets told that, you think, oh, no, because you want to have something witty and amazing and life-changing. It is all of those things, you'll be pleased to know, but you have heard it all before. And as God was speaking to me this week, he reminded me that what we're going to think about today links the sermon series we've just had about who we are in God and who God is uh, with what is about to come. Am I really loud? Do I need to turn down a little bit? I feel loud. Yeah, there's a few people saying I'm a bit loud. Thanks. My husband says that all the time. (laughs) Today's sermon is about the presence of God. The presence of God. And as I said, it's nothing new, but it's perhaps today is a timely encouragement to all of us to push into God A timely encouragement that actually God's presence changes everything. And that with God's presence, with us, in us and through us, amazing things can happen. Now you probably find a Bible quite handy. We're going to start in uh, Psalm 82 as Anne-Marie's just read to us. But you also might want to uh, find 1 Chronicles chapter 13 which is on pages 4 one seven. Find that now, 417. Put your finger in it, we're going to need it a little bit later on. Before we dive in anymore, let's pray, shall we? Lord God, we come today and recognise who you are. You are our Saviour, our King, our Lord and our friend. And as we dive into your word today, we're asking that you, Lord God, would open our ears and our hearts, and our minds, so we're ready to read your word with your eyes and see what you have for us today. But most of all, Lord, may we experience your presence in this place as we dive into your word, as we hear what you have for us today. May we experience your presence in this place so that we go away different, changed, ready for all that this week will bring. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Are you a doer or a beer? Some of you instantly know the answer to this. I am a doer. I love to do things, do stuff. So on my day off, on a Friday, I will be doing things. Not just list of jobs, uh, but often. But I'll go, oh, brilliant, I've got some time with my four-year-old. What are we going to do today? So we'll go to the zoo or we'll go paddling in the sea or we'll go and do something that makes a memory and usually mud, mess and joy in the process. I am a doer. In my work, I like to do things. I love a good list. 
I know some people in this church love a good list and they laminate it with tick sheets. I'm not that person. But I do love a good list. I like to achieve things. I like measurable lists. So I know if a day's been successful or not. We had 67 spellings to learn over the Easter holidays. I didn't know half of them. My eight-year-old knew all of them. It was great because we could tick them off when she knew them. There was a sense of achievement, of success. We can learn how to spell construction. We're very happy. Doers love to fix things. They see a situation and they don't go, oh. They go, what can we do to fix it? How, what steps do I need to take? All of these things are great. Doers are very productive kind of people most of the time. But sometimes they achieve too much. Because actually, they haven't considered the task. They haven't thought about it. They have just rushed in to do, do, do. Doers often burn out really quickly because they try to achieve too much. They do before they think. Oh, I do that a bit too much sometimes. I do before I think. And therefore, our success is about what we have achieved I've done this, this, and this, so therefore I'm a successful kind of person, or I've had a successful day. But what happens when you don't do, 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 and you haven't achieved? Oh, that's not a good day. Let's think about the beers. I would love more beers in my life. They're people who linger in a moment. You go for coffee with them, and you feel like you're the most important person, because they love to be with you. They linger on what is in the present. What is it that I need to achieve right now? What is it that is on the agenda for the moment? Beers are also uh, people who don't panic about what's coming next or in five years' time, not often having a five-year plan, but having a, what would it look like today? Beers are people who make space for what is to come. So they are well prepared for situations that might be in their diary for later in the week. They've spent time and energy preparing for what that looks like. And they don't rush from thing to thing like us doers. They're much more prepared for every situation that is to come. It's true to say that beers have a different time scale to us doers. This can be a good thing, but it can mean they're often late. Some of the doers in my life are, uh, some of the beers in my life are always late. And it isn't that they get less done, but they always get the most important things done. They know the priorities. They know what is the most important thing. Again, all these things are good, but there are a few downsides to being a beer. I mentioned their time management. Sometimes beers are so caught up in the moment that they don't move on to the next thing and you're left in that coffee shop waiting for them because they're still being in a moment somewhere before. Beers often feel overwhelmed by deadlines because actually we've all got some deadlines in our life and sometimes being a beer and having a deadline is not great because you don't have time to prepare perhaps or invest in the present, the thing that is coming. There are many other things we could say about beers and doers. I wonder which one you are. Are you a beer or are you a doer? Or are you somewhere in the middle? A little heads up for us doers. This sermon's not going to be very comfortable. So if you sat there and thought, oh, I'm a doer, I'm praying for you right now in my heart. 
because I was speaking to myself as I was preparing this. You be as though, don't smile, because the end is coming. There's a bit for you that's going to be a challenge, so don't feel too smug about it. Are you a beer or a doer? Thing is, God's way of life is for us to be before we do. If you remember when Jesus called his disciples back in Mark 3, it says this, Jesus went up to a mountainside and he called those that he wanted and they came to him. And then this bit's really important. He appointed 12 that they might what? Be with him. He called them, says, come follow me, come on an adventure, but that adventure begins with being with me. Jesus Basic invitation is for all of us in every moment of our day to be with him. And being with Jesus is where the fruit of the doing begins, but we're coming to that later. The disciples wouldn't have become who they were and they wouldn't have left the legacy that they did if they hadn't have learned just to be with Jesus, to rest in his presence, to learn from him, to just being with the Son of God. Jesus also did this. We read again and again in the Gospels that he took himself away to be with the Father so that he could learn what to do, what was on the Father's heart. It says again and again that Jesus took himself away so that he could be with his Father to see what his Father was doing. Turn with me then to 1 Chronicles chapter 13. 1 Chronicles chapter 13. The lovely warning to us doers here. David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant, so the presence of God dwelling in this Ark, he's bringing it back to his hometown. It's been away and it's coming back and he arranges all the worship leaders and the possession and everything to bring it back. But then something happens. Let's have a look at chapter 13. So he, uh, in the first few verses, he uh, gets everybody together and says, let's bring the Ark of the Covenant back. Verse 7. They moved the Ark of the Covenant from Abazan's house on a new cart with Isaiah and Ohio guiding it. David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God with song and with harps, lyres, tambourines, cymbals and trumpets. Verse 9. When they came to the threshing floor of Kidon, Isaiah reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned down before, ooh, against Isaiah and he struck out because he'd put his hand on the ark. So he died there before God. Now I swing between thinking what an awful way to go and what an amazing way to go. It must have been a bit of a, a shock to everyone around him to see this guy trying to be useful and helpful, holding the ark up and then dying because the Lord's wrath was against him. But then also being that consumed by the presence of God and then going to meet him, that's not a bad place to be either. It's not a bad way to go, I guess, even if it was untimely in everyone else's eyes. Isaiah's story, I think, speaks to us doers. You see, he thought he was doing something good, stopping the Ark of the Covenant from falling over, but he didn't think it through. He was touching 
the very presence of God. And in this time, remember this is the Old Testament, to do that, to go into the presence of God required months and months of sacrifice, of worship, of spending time, being appointed to be a priest and to be the right person to go into the very presence of God. Isaiah, thinking he was being useful, rashly touches the very presence of God, which he was not able to do. And he dies there and then in front of everybody. Isaiah's desire to do good ended in an untimely death. He didn't consider the actions. He didn't think it through. How many times have I done that? I've rushed into something without consideration for the consequences or for the others that are affected by it or its impact. How many times have I been driven by a success or just the achievement to get to the bottom of the list without thinking about the consequences of that? Perhaps more scarily, how many times have I rushed to make a decision or acted in a way that needed me to understand who God was and his power and his presence, but instead I've ignored all of that and rushed out and made that decision all on my own. Perhaps when I've gone to pray with someone, I haven't stopped and actually sought God on what he wants me to pray rather than what I think I should pray. How many times have I read God's word, perhaps just to tick it off on the list? Oh, I've done it today. Brilliant. Move on. How many times have I done that without consideration of how much this word could change me or how much God might speak through it? Us doers love lists, but sometimes that list can bring an untimely death or even, probably more likely, us to miss out on what God has for us in that day. Let's move on to the next bit of the story. If you look in verse 12, we learn that David was afraid of God. He was afraid of God because he'd seen what had happened. And he's thinking, I'm bringing this very presence of God into my city. What happens if this happens again in front of everybody in the city? This could be a disaster for my reign. My reign as king, wow. He recognizes how powerful the presence of God is. And so he sends it to the house of a Levite. Verse 13. He did not take the ark to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of God remained with his family in his house for three months. And the Lord blesses his household and everything he has. So the Ark of the Covenant, the very presence of God, is moved into Obed's front room. Simon asked us a very similar question last week to this one. But can you imagine having the very presence of God in your front room? What would that look like? What would that have been like for Obed and his family? I imagine that worship and prayer would be erupting continually, a little bit like what we see in Revelation, when everybody's bowing down before the Lamb, recognizing who he is and worshiping day and night without ceasing. I wonder what his marriage would have been like and his parenting. Can you imagine the children knowing that the presence of God was in the front room? That would be amazing. Do you think his neighbors would have popped round for a cup of tea to see what was going on? What would have happened as they walked in the door? Would they, like them, be on their knees, worshipping the very presence of God in the lounge for one moment with the person next to you? 
Why don't you answer that question? What would it look like for the very presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, to be in your lounge? What would happen? What would it look like? How would it feel? Go. Okay, anyone want to tell me? What do you think it would be like? Full? Busy? Do you think people would be trapped? Or do you need a bigger lounge? Is that the deal? You need a bigger lounge. (laughs) I reckon it would be full of people though. Anyone, what would it be like to have the presence of God in your lounge? Uplifting, hopeful. Anyone else? Awesome, awesome, mind-blowing. Can't imagine it. We sing, used to sing that song, I can only imagine what it will be like to be in the presence of God. I don't know if I can imagine it, but it would be awesome. Anyone else? Scary, a little scary, hugely scary, terrifying. They'd just seen Isaiah die by touching the presence of God. There would be a sense of fear, the fear of the Lord. You've got this holy presence in your lounge, so it would need respect. Anyone else? Someone end with something other than scary, please. Please, come on, one more. What would it be like to have the very breath? Sweet, the sweet aroma of God. So it would taste sweet. You've got the God of heaven living in your lounge. And you want more. Let's end there, that's brilliant. You want more because that's what we read in the psalm that we've just had. Thank you, Bella, I love you. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns and even faints for you, hungry. You would have been in the presence of God. His, his presence is in your front room and you would want more and more of it because it is so awesome, so overwhelming, so powerful and so attractive and so life-changing. You'd spend a lot of time on your knees, as would your children. Me and Sam went to uh, Chelmer Distant on Friday and we were paddling in the river there. And uh, he burst into song, uh, your love never changes and never gives up, that one. He's four, right? And as a mummy, I joined in because it was an awesome moment. There were a load of people having their dinner in the pub outside. They probably thought we were mad. But for that moment, Sam was in creation, which for him is perfect, paddling in the sea, which is perfect. His wellies were filled with water. He was perfect. He was so happy that it overflew into some worship. I joined in. We had a lovely moment on the beach. That would happen in Obed's house with his children because the very presence of God was being encountered Another story for you. Ten years ago, we did our first prayer room here at church. Did it in the back. And uh, I was really excited, really excited. We emptied um, Heather's loft full of soft furnishings and we set it all up. It was beautiful. And uh, we prayed our socks off and we uh, uh, encouraged people to come and sign up for an hour like we will over the next couple of weeks. And we had set three days aside for people to have their slots day and night and we wondered whether this would be a good idea. Who was going to come at five in the morning and pray really? It was January, it was a bit chilly. Um, so we prayed and prayed and prayed and people did and, and it filled up and I took my couple of slots and uh, I also brought to the prayer room three books that I thought I was going to read whilst being in the prayer room for my slots. I took my shoes off at the door I walked into the prayer room, ready with my list of things to do whilst in the prayer room. 
I put a CD on and I was overwhelmed by the presence of God. I was so overwhelmed that within what felt like minutes, but must have been 60, the person was banging on the door saying, can I come in? It's my slot. Oh, yeah, of course you can. I'm off now. Bye. Taking my books with me. Came to the next slot with my books thinking, okay, well, that's that done. I'm going to start reading my books now. Um, No, God had other plans. I'm not an artist at all, but God wanted me to draw. I will never show you that picture, but it has been significant in my life over the coming months. I slimed up to one more slot uh, thinking I'd get my book started. And I didn't even bother bringing them that time, to be honest. I just thought, okay, God, what's, what's for you? After the three days of praying in that prayer room, uh, people were begging us for more. So we left it up and we ended up praying for 10 days, nonstop day and night in this church. It was amazing. And so many people on the Sunday when we asked for testimonies came and said, I had a list of things I wanted to do, but I didn't do them because I was overwhelmed by the presence of God. That's what happened when the presence of God moved into Obed's room. That's what happens when we expect to encounter the living presence of God. The lists go and we learn to be in his presence. We learn to actually just enjoy being with our Father. We absolutely come alive because we are connected with the life source, God himself, the very presence of God. Ten days of day and night praying changed us as a church. And so it's with excitement that I see we've got another prayer room coming, and uh, our theme is going to be the presence of God hence preaching today on this. I'll talk a little bit more about that later on. When we learn to just be in the presence of God, the words of the psalmist feel really different. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are forever praising you. I want to be the kind of person that's forever praising. How do I get that? I need to dwell in God's presence. And better is one day in your course, course, Yeah, not much sleep been this week. Uh, Courts rather than course, than a thousand elsewhere. I love to be able to say that and actually mean it because us doers think of the 3,000 places we should be rather than the place we are. Better is one day in the presence of God than a thousand elsewhere. Some of you will have heard of Carol and John Arnott. They're based in uh, Toronto in the States, and they've committed their life to helping people experience the presence of God. And I love what they write here. You can see it. There must be time for him to just love him and have him love us. No other agendas, no lists of prayer requests. They may come later, but we need to put loving him first. Because only as we are filled with his love do we have love to give away. So many Christians cannot rest in his presence, but must constantly be on duty. Whoa, the doer in me does not like that. Very good at being on duty. And in fact, when I started writing this talk, this was the bit I got stuck at. Because you're taught that a good talk then has a good application. Application is often a do, isn't it? And so I started thinking, right, okay, so I've got a lot of people sat there. I want to give them a good list of how to do experiencing the presence of God. But then I went, no, I can't do that. And so I came up with a few things, but they're not really doing. Just hear them in the voice that they are in. You have to do what you need to do so you can just be. I'm going to say that again. You need to do what you need to do so you can just be. So the first thing for me to do when I need to just do, when I need to just be, is turn my phone off. 
lots of you looked at me at that point. Whoa, did Claire say that? There are loads of things that will help us just to be. One of them is this is so important that we love the presence of God, that we yearn for it and long for it, that we make space to just experience the presence of God, but it is so difficult to do. Because of those many distractions, like our phone, like our children, however brilliant they are, there are so many distractions that often this is the most difficult thing to actually do. Being in the presence of God, everything will try and stop you. Everything. So this morning, um, Sam's poorly. He has a temperature. Sam doesn't get poorly very often, so it was a bit of a shock. He was up all night, so this is the three-hour sleep face. Um, But the temptation this morning was to sit at home in my pyjamas for a little bit longer than I should do, drinking coffee, cuddling Sam, watching Power Rangers. Um, But I knew I was preaching this sermon, and actually God just said, leave him with Rich to watch Power Rangers, which actually is a blessing because I hate Power Rangers, Um, and, and go and be... And I was like, well, I need to finish a really whizzy PowerPoint. As you see, it's not a whizzy PowerPoint. I need to go do that. And God just said, come and be. So we went for a walk in the park, just me and God. It was beautiful. And it was my being with God time. But everything had battled to stop that from happening. Everything. Lack of sleep, need for coffee, um, children not well, me feeling stressed about the fact I hadn't done a PowerPoint. There were many things that could have stopped me from being, but I knew, because of I'd been speaking to myself all week, being was the most important thing to do. What things stop you doing this most important thing? It's often the last thing we do. I've shared this story many times, but John and Charles Wesley's mum used to stand in her kitchen and put her pinny over her head. I think she had nine or 12 children. Ridiculous lady. And 17, thank you. I like nine. That feels good all of a sudden. 17 children. They knew when the pinny was over her head, she was with Jesus. And you did not interrupt her. They've written about this in a number of places. And they went on to be amazing preachers and pastors themselves, evangelists of their time. But they saw their mum every day with the penny over their head, being with Jesus. Nothing was more important to that lady than being with Jesus. And frankly, if I had 17 kids, <laughs> I might want to move in with Jesus in heaven. Anyway, moving on. Tis good for me. <laughs> Live podcast, scary. Right. Um, being with Jesus is the most, being with, in the presence of God is the most important thing, but often the most difficult because of the distractions. But another thing we need to remember as we learn to be is that being in the presence of God is transforming. It's absolutely transforming. Think about all of the Bible heroes that they'll be learning about in Sunday school right now, from Moses through to Paul. All of them began by experiencing the very presence of God, whether in a burning bush or a Damascus moment or or whatever. But they also had life-changing moments every single day along the way of, of being in the presence of God. Jesus himself talks about spending time with his father and that fueling his day. Think about Anna and Simeon in the temple every single day, worshipping and prophesying before the Lord. I could go on. There are so many examples in Scripture, but they, they all knew that before they did anything, they needed to 
be in the very presence of God because that would change them more than any self-help book, any Facebook post, anything that you could read. The very presence of God is the only thing that could transform them to live for him in the very day that God had given them. There's another one, though. We need to become more hungry. When we were fasting in uh, January, um, I was really hungry for chocolate. Um, But the more I didn't have chocolate, the more I wanted it, it didn't work in any other way. The more I missed the chocolate, the more it came. And Simon reminded us in a sermon about how if we don't remove things from our lives, um, uh, then we don't become hungry for things. How hungry are you for God? How hungry are you for God? The more you spend time in the presence of God, the more you want it. That that prayer room taught us that. And this little guy, Obed, who I've just brought your attention to, a little guy you could miss in 1 Chronicles 13, he pops up in a couple of other places. Um, and We believe he's the same guy. I did a little bit of Old Testament study this week. And he pops up in two other places in Chronicles. Uh, 1 Chronicles 15, 18 and 2 Chronicles 24. First he pops up as a singer with many instruments in the temple. And then in 2 Chronicles he pops up as the treasurer in the temple. And you wonder why he's got those jobs. Each time he's in the temple... Can you imagine having the very presence of God in your house? But then it goes off to the temple. His home must have felt a little bit different after that, a bit flat. So what does he do? He goes and gets himself jobs. That means he's got access to the presence of God. He places himself at every opportunity to be in the presence of God. He was so hungry for more of God that he did whatever he could to come and be close to the presence of God. Some, this is a some rather than all theological scholars, wonder whether he wrote Psalm 84. I can imagine him doing that. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Cool, he could say that, couldn't he? He had the presence of God living in his lounge, and then he's longing for it. I would rather be a doorkeeper, a treasurer, or an instrument player in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. How hungry are you for God today? I'm going to skip this one, but it's not because it's not important. But we must enter the presence of God like a child. Um, I can say all of this, but I'm just going to say there is nothing like the eagerness of a child when they want something. Mummy, I want an ice cream. Mummy, I want an ice cream. Mummy, I want an ice cream. Or, Mummy, are we there yet? How many minutes are we? There is nothing like the eagerness of a child when they want something. We need to seek God's presence like an eager child, and not be satisfied until we give up. Finally, we need to grab every opportunity. Life is busy. Life does have lists. Life does have demands, and space is very, very, very rare to find. I don't know how many sermons I've heard on Mary and Martha over the years. Uh, Many, many, many. And often we hear uh, how Mary did it right, sitting at the feet of Jesus, and Martha, who was panicking about the cooking, did it wrong. But I think it's way more than that. I think Jesus was speaking to Martha and saying, you missed an opportunity to be with me. You missed an opportunity by being busy. You were too busy doing. And actually, there was an opportunity. The Son of God was sat in your lounge. Did you miss me? You were busy. Just 20 minutes walking with God this morning I think it's changed me. 
had to grab the opportunity. I would love you not to miss the opportunity of the prayer room in a few weeks' time. Um, On Tuesday, we'll start putting it out there about how to sign up. There'll be an online thing you can sign off. And then next Sunday, we'll be sat here with the computer so you can sign up here in church as well. Sign up for an hour for your own. Sign up for an hour as your community. Don't miss the opportunity of the prayer room. But also, don't miss the opportunities of every single day. The presence of God. Go and be. Go and be loved and go and love your father. Go and be. Don't miss the opportunities. So us doers might feel a little bit challenged. Now a little challenge for some beers. I'd like you to remember the passage in Mark 13 that I began with. You see, God's way of life is for us to be before we do. Come and be with me. Come and be with me. And that he might then what? Send them out. Send them out. If you missed last week's sermon, then please, please, please get a CD, listen to a podcast. The evangelist in me uh, jumped for joy with that sermon. As we are with God, as we are resting in him, and we're in his presence, as he changes us, transforms us, equips us, loves us, it's so that we can be sent out sent out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Whoa. I want to share a story of a revival, and some of you will know the details more uh, than I do of this. Um, Some of you were alive during this. This is the uh, revival of the Outer Hebrides uh, between 1949 and 1953. And particularly, the Isle of Lewis uh, saw a massive revival. The majority of the people present there surrendered their lives to Christ. Can you imagine the whole of Ipswich surrendering their life to Christ? Whoa. Pete Gregg, uh, in his book, Dirty Glory, which a number of us are reading at the moment, and if you want to read it, then uh, see me. I might lend you my copy as long as you promise to give it back. Um, speaks a lot about this. And he writes this, those that live through those years insist that these experiences can only be attributed to a sovereign act of the presence of God through earnest prayer. They describe the Holy Spirit sometimes seeming to hover over a geographical area so that anybody who stepped into that zone could tangibly experience the presence of God. Wow. Yes, please, God. Can you imagine that? People walking into your house, encountering the presence of God so much that they committed themselves to Christ immediately. Wow. How on earth did this happen? Well, it's written about in a number of places that two elderly sisters, Christine and Peggy, were sat by their fire, lost in prayer. One of the women uh, received a vision of many young people filling the church. They summoned the minister to their house the next morning and shared the picture They felt that God was saying they needed to be ready for revival. The minister asked, what do you suggest I do? Anyone think he was a doer? What what do I do? What do I do? I've had this word from God. What do I do? And the lovely women, who I imagine were beers, replied, you just need to pray. So they proposed a deal. The minister would gather the elders of the church to pray at one end of the village and the women would do the same at the other end of the village. They would do this for five hours through the evening into the night uh, for many months. 
After a period of time, God gave more revelation and some things began to happen that resulted in them uh, calling in an evangelist to come and do some uh, big preaching moments. And over 75% of the population of that village came to Christ in the coming weeks. It began by the doer stopping doing and learning to be. What was birthed there spread out to the other villages, spread out to the other islands, and revival came. The doers laid down what they thought was fruitful work and became beers. And the beers taught the doers how to pray. Can you imagine if that happened here at Burlington? Can you imagine if that would happen in your street? Can you imagine if that would happen in your workplace? Can you imagine? Where does it begin? It begins by me and you being with him in his presence, hearing his voice, trusting that his presence will change us and then sending us out. Because then we do differently because it's birthed out of being with Christ. Let's just stop for a moment. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faint, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cries out for the living God.